All right, this morning we are, uh, as you can see from the slide up here, back in our series on uh, the epistle of James. But uh, we're going back to James by going through a passage in Romans. The reason why that is is because next week we're going to come across a verse in James. I think we have this verse on a slide. Uh, Verse 24 of chapter 2, James says this, You see... This is the conclusion of his argument that he's making to us in the next passage we're going to. He says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And that verse in James 2 should cause in us some kind of cognitive dissonance. Right, Our whole lives, we have had drilled into us again and again and again that as believers, as Christians, we are saved by what? By faith. We're justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, right? But James says you're justified by works and not by faith alone. And so in order to figure out how uh, what James is saying is true in Scripture and to be received by us, we're going to talk this week, kind of in preparation for next week, more about what justification is so that we can understand how Scripture uses that word and so we can see then next week how James uses that word. And the reality for us is that the topic of justification is a lot like kale, right? There's this vegetable which has taken the world by storm. And uh, there have been books written about it and blog posts and articles. And there are a, a few people, relatively a few people compared to the rest of the world, who are just really amped up about kale. But everybody else isn't. Right, this week I went to the grocery store to pick up some cilantro for my wife. And sure enough, at County Market, on the shelf right uh, to, to, to the right of where the cilantro is, there's this label on the shelf that says kale. And then underneath it, there's this uh, green monstrosity. And before that point, if you had placed five vegetables in front of me and said, which one of these is ruining the appetites of millions of people... I could not pick kale out of a lineup. But now I know what it looks like. Now I know what all these people are excited about. And justification is very similar to that. Some people have a whole lot to say about it. But the vast majority of people, the vast majority of Christians uh, may know the word, they may see it in in their Bible, but they probably don't know exactly what it is, what it means, and how and why it's good for us. And so... In light of that, we want to look more at it this morning. And as we kind of go through this week and next week, I want this image to be in our minds, right? So think with me about the end of Samson's life, right? Samson is this judge in the Old Testament who was ridiculously strong. He had strength given to him from God. And at some point in his life, he's tricked into losing that strength, right? The Philistines cut his hair. He loses his strength. He's imprisoned by them. And then the author of Judges tells us that at the end of his life, he's chained up in this temple. And all around him are all these Philistines, and they're worshiping an idol in front of him. He, he becomes indignant. It, it bothers him. His, his anger is stirred against them because he knows that what they are worshiping is false and that God isn't glorified in it. And so he, he calls out to God one last time to give him strength so that he can kill all these Philistines. And what happened was that he was, he was chained up between two pillars. And so he used this, this last 
uh, answer to prayer, the strength that's given to him to destroy these pillars and just collapse this temple on top of himself and all these Philistines. So I want us to think about these, these, this idea of two pillars that are kind of holding up this building. Right? This week, we're going to talk about one pillar. And that's the reality that as Christians, we are justified by faith alone. And then next week, we're going to come back as we look at James, and we're going to talk about that other pillar, which is the reality that justifying faith or, or faith that justifies produces righteous works. It produces good works. So we're justified by faith alone, but that kind of faith that justifies us produces good works. And like Samson, we need to be, as believers, holding on to both of those pillars. But unlike Samson, it's not so that we can destroy the building. It's so that we can hold up our faith before the world and show them what it means to be believers. And so this week, we're talking about that that left pillar, or for all of you guys, that right pillar that we are justified by faith alone. So if you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. We're going to go here to answer the question, what is justification? And after we've done that, we're going to talk about how and why uh, it benefits us. So we're going to read verses 21 through 26 of Romans 3. If you don't have a Bible, there's some under the chairs. And this passage is on page 941 in those Bibles. Again, that was Romans 3. We're going to read verses 21 through 26. Paul says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's pray real quick. God, we thank you that you are great, and your faithfulness is great. God, we thank you that you demonstrate your faithfulness to us in giving us your word. You've preserved it for thousands of years so that we can learn from you in it. And God, we ask that this morning that you would just make known to us again your faithfulness to us in Christ. What he has accomplished on our behalf by making us right in your sight. And we pray that you would show us your faithfulness by sending your spirit to help us together to learn from your word this morning. Jesus, we thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So Paul here is seeking to explain to his readers how uh, God can be righteous and we can be saved, or they can be saved. This is his argument. This is kind of the crux of what he's saying. He says, first of all, in verse 22, we saw, he said, there's no distinction, right? He's dealing with relationships between uh, Jews and Gentiles, people who are divided on racial lines. And he's saying that there's not any distinction. We can extend that there is no distinction to 
all kinds of divisions, right? Age, gender, uh, socioeconomic level, education level, uh, your ethnic background, the country that you're from, uh, anything. There is no distinction. He's saying that no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, we're all in this boat together. He explains what this, the name of this boat is in verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the reality that everyone is living under. But there's a second reality that he fleshes out in this passage. And that's that there's no distinction between our, our background, our sin, the fact that we've fallen short. There's also no distinction between the fact that we can be justified. Right? It's not just the Jews that can be justified, which we should be thankful for because we're all Gentiles. We can be justified by His grace as a gift. So first of all, what is justification? Right? He's using this word. We need to understand what this word means. Justification is a legal term. So we should picture it kind of in the mouth of a judge with a gavel. Right? It's, the, it's the conclusion he makes on a case. Whether or not someone is justified. How many of you have heard someone say uh, that justification is just as if we've never sinned? Right? I've heard it too. I've said it. Uh, but that's a horrible understanding of justification. I wish I could travel back in time and slap myself on the face every time I said it. It's not just as if we had never sinned. Justification is a reality that, that God, from that judicial place, from that judge's seat, he looks at us and he declares us not guilty, but instead of just saying you're not guilty, he says you're right. So imagine a criminal who's on trial for uh, something like murder. Right? The judge says he's not guilty, he's acquitted. But then he makes another pronouncement and says this is a righteous man, this is a good man, this is someone we should honor. We shouldn't treat him like a bad person. Instead, we should treat him like a good person. right? If we say and understand that justification is just as if we had never sinned, we just move from this bad place, all have fallen short of the glory of God, all have sinned. We move from there to this neutral place. And then what happens? We sin. We get back in the boat. Justification is just as if we had lived a perfect life. Right? He takes away the bad, and then he declares us righteous. He takes Jesus' perfect life, and he puts it on us. We're going to see how that happens in this passage. It says we're justified by his grace as a gift. First of all, it's by grace. Right? We do not do anything to earn it. He doesn't look at us and say, oh, you know, you've done this thing, you've completed this list, you've checked these boxes, so you are justified. It's by grace. We don't deserve it. Remember, we're in this boat together when he does justify us. What we deserve is to sink. By his grace as a gift. The grace comes through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption is a purchasing of someone out of some state, usually slavery. In this case, Jesus, by his death on the cross, he pulls us out of the place we're in so that we can have our sins forgiven. Paul explains this in verse 25. Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation 
by his blood. Propitiation is a fancy word which means atoning sacrifice. What it means is that Jesus bore uh, the penalty that we deserve, right? He purchased us out of this bad state, and he also bore the wrath that we deserved, right? Because since we're in this place, since we've sinned, since we've fallen short of of the glory of God, since we've uh, wronged and rebelled against this perfect and holy God, his wrath is stirred against us. And I get that it's not popular to talk about God's wrath, Right? The fact that God was angry with us because of our sin, or he's angry with other people still because of their sin. But really, that shouldn't bother us. Because, I mean, think about how you respond to sin. Someone cuts you off in traffic. Someone punches you in the face. Someone says something to you that's not nice. What happens to you? Our, our blood begins to boil. We get indignant. We get angry. And if maybe you're someone who isn't bothered by what happens to you, think about someone you love. If you see someone treat your kid poorly or your spouse poorly or your friend poorly, right, that's going to cause an emotional response in us. How much more so should that response be called caused in a God who is perfect and holy? Right? Someone cuts me off in traffic, I get angry, but the reality is I probably cut somebody off a few minutes before. And yet I'm acting like I've never done that to anyone. God's wrath is stirred against us because of our sin. And he put forward Christ as the object to receive and bear that wrath that was against us. That's how we get our redemption. That's how uh, our sin is taken away from us. It's placed on Christ. Christ is punished instead of us. He says that this redemption, this, this grace that comes through redemption, that comes through this sacrifice, it is received by faith. That's how we get all this stuff. Simply because we believe Because of his grace, he takes away all of our sin. He places it on Christ. And then he takes Christ's perfect life, his innocence, his righteousness, and he places it on us. So justification is not just as if we had never sinned. It's just as if we had lived the perfect life that Christ lived. That's a very different thing. And because of that, even though we still sin, those sins have been put aside in Christ. They've been paid for. And because of his grace, because of the faith that he's given us, we can be right. Paul tells us why God did it this way. He says, this was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Everything up to this point, right, people had been sinning, people had been rebelling against God. God had passed over them. He hadn't poured out his wrath on them. And it was to show his righteousness at the present time. Now, as we see it, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, right? There's this problem uh, for God. It's not really a problem like we have problems, but there's something that has to be reconciled because he wants to make justification a possibility for us, but yet he has to remain just himself. And so the reason why our sins are punished in Christ is because our sins have to be punished. Right? He can't just wipe the slate clean. 
Because if he does that, then he's not just. He's not holy. He's not perfect. And so he pours out his wrath on Christ so that the penalty can be paid for and so that we can be made right instead. And this way, he can be uh, the just one and the one who justifies us. So the question in response to all this is, uh, what kind of a reaction should this reality cause in us? The fact that justification makes it just as if we had lived a perfect life. What should that stir up in us? I think first of all, right, it should cause gratitude and praise in us. Right, if we can hear these kinds of ideas, the fact that our life, how God looks at us, the way that judge with that gavel makes his decision regarding us is on the basis of Christ's life and not on the basis of my life or your life. That's a great thing. That is amazing grace and it should cause in us amazing gratitude. If it doesn't, it's because we don't understand what he's done. Or we haven't taken it and made it ours. It should cause us to worship Jesus for who he is and what he's done because he's the one that our life counts for. And it should also, I think, cause us concern and a burden for all of those who haven't been justified. This passage lumps everybody into two groups. All have fallen short, all have sinned, and some are justified. And so the reality is we know people who have not received this gracious gift through faith in Christ. And they're still in that place. They still are in that place of falling short and sinning. Not that we don't fall short, not that we don't sin, but it's not counted for us. Theirs is. And so if we know people in that boat, we know what's happening, we know it's going down, we should be people who have that answer to tell them. We should be people who have that, that, that burden, that compulsion to share the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us with them. I think that Paul explains another application of this, this idea of justification in the next few verses. Listen to what he says in 27 through 30. He says, Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. Do we then overthrow the law by faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Paul is here saying that uh, what becomes of our boasting? Our here means the Jews. Right up to this point in history, the Jews were the people of God. Everyone else is not. And they would boast about that, not necessarily in a prideful, selfish way. I'm sure some did, but other people just were proud in a good way of their relationship with the God of the universe, the one who created everything. They would talk about their works, 
their worship of him, the way they kept the law, the way they didn't eat certain foods, and they would hold those over other people that didn't do those things. This is what makes us right. This is what makes us good. This is what makes us pleasing to him and acceptable to him is that we do all these things and everybody else doesn't. That's how we know we're the people of God. And Paul is saying that justification takes all of that stuff and throws it out. It's gone. There is no ground for boasting. It's because the field's level. Right? We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And those who are justified are justified because of what Christ has done, not because of what we have done. And the reality is that when we boast, when we take pride in who we are, or what we've done, what we're doing is we are believing functionally in false justification. Right? We know in our heads, we've had it drilled into us most of our lives that we are justified by faith alone. But the way we live, the way we talk to other people, the way we look at other people, it shows that in our hearts, we are trusting in other sources of justification. Let me give you some examples. I think there's a slide of this. Right, here are some examples. This isn't an exhaustive list of things that we might look to and say, this is what gives me grounds for boasting. This is what makes me right. This is what makes me pleasing to him. Maybe my job, I work really hard. I work harder than anybody else in my office. I show up before everybody else does. I leave after everybody else does. Clearly, I am better than those other people. Clearly, I'm more righteous because God looks at my work ethic and compares it to those who don't have it. Or maybe our family. My kids are better behaved than your kids. They're not. But I might think that. I might look at that and say, God must be pleased with me for how I'm raising my kids. He must be pleased with me for the fact that my kids don't say what those other kids say or watch what those other kids watch or treat their mom the way those other kids treat their mom. Or finances. I'm not going to walk through all of these because I trust your ability to think for yourself. But we could say, I save all kinds of money. I budget. I stick to it. I give to the church. I give to other causes. Clearly, God is more pleased with me than he is those who spend money on all kinds of stuff who don't give, who don't uh, budget and save and pinch pennies. Anytime we trust in any source of false justification, we are doing two things. First of all, we are acting towards other people, men and women who are justified in Christ the same way we are, or men and women who are created in God's image just like we are, we are looking at them and thinking that we are better than them. We're trying to make the level field not level. And that's going to cause us to be unloving towards them. It's going to cause us to treat them differently, to treat them poorly to not serve and love and care for them like we're called to in God's word. But worse than that, it does a second thing. It causes us to diminish and devalue what Christ has done for us. 
right? If we hold to any of these things, if we think this way, what I'm saying when I do that is I'm saying my hard work at my job, it is more valuable to God than Christ's death on my behalf. Jesus, thanks for dying for me. Thanks for bearing God's wrath against me. But I think I really need to work hard in order to make this count. What you've done isn't enough. It's a great start, but I need to add to it. I need to put more stuff on there. We're justified by faith alone, plus working hard, plus raising your kids rightly, plus working out and eating right, and all these other things we might add in there. When we do that, we're setting ourselves up to treat other people poorly, and we're setting ourselves up to have a response towards justification by faith that is not praise and is not gratitude, but is instead a blasphemous response against it. The reality is that no one needs to teach us how to do these things. As I've interacted with my children, who are still really young, it's amazing how when some of them, one of them does something wrong, like they get in a conflict with each other or they do something that they know is disobedient, we confront them immediately. They say, well, I did this because she did this or because this happened or because of this reason. And they come up with this, you know, little kid version of a logical argument for why what they did was really okay. There was never any point where Jen and I sat down with our kids and said, hey, if you get in trouble, this is the way to get yourself out. Here's a three-step process to explain yourself and get off the hook. No one has to teach us to do that. And sure, our justifications are much more sophisticated than a six-year-old and a four-year-old, but they come from the same place. They come from that naturally prideful and selfish, sinful heart that we were born with. And so today, as we kind of focus on this, this, this pillar, the reality that we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone, that there is no other source for us to trust in or look to, it's my hope that we would, by God's Spirit, begin to look at our lives that he would confront us and convict us of those things that we look to other than Christ. And that we would believe, not just in our heads, but in our hearts and the way we live, the reality that we are justified by faith alone. That it is just as if we had lived a perfect life. And that the response from us would be gratitude and praise toward God and love in unity with one another because it is a level field. The only distinction is between those who need to be justified and the one who justifies. He's the only one that can look at himself and say, I am the source of justification. And so as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, I mean, Two very easy, very practical ways you can respond right now to this is number one, thanking God for what he's done for you in Christ. To come before him in prayer and express that gratitude that we should have. If you don't have it, 
If you're not overwhelmed by it, ask him to give you that right response. And then secondly, ask him by his spirit to show you what you're looking to other than him for justification. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for teaching us in your word the reality that everyone has fallen short. Everyone has sinned. And God, we thank you that even though you are holy and just and perfect, that you did not leave us in our fallen state. But that because of your grace and mercy, you sent your Son to bring us redemption. You put him forward to stand in our place and bear our punishment and bear your wrath against us. And that you didn't just remove the sin, but you replaced it with righteousness. God, help us to understand more and more each day what it means that we are justified by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. Help us to respond with praise to you for all that you've done for us that we could not do for ourselves. We also pray that you would continue to change our hearts from hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. That we wouldn't respond in our life with the the natural sinful inclinations of our heart, but that we would instead look past all the false sources of justification and trust in the one true source in Christ. Jesus, we thank you for who you are and for all that you have accomplished on our behalf. It's in your name we pray. Amen.